Hey guys, welcome to the Tech People Podcast. My name is Ken Coyne. I'm your host and founder, as well as head of technology at Ops Talent. I believe at the heart of any success story are the people who made it happen. Diversity, creativity, and innovation, when nurtured in people, can lead to an unbeatable formula. I created this podcast to share the experiences of some truly inspirational leaders on their journey to success. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, today we're going to London to talk to my good friend Oliver Klander, all about ad tech, which is a very interesting space at the moment, especially with third-party cookie changes and the privacy issues as well as COVID. Oliver has over 15 years experience in media, data and tech, and currently is a vice president of sales at Tinktram, which is an award-winning specialist entertainment marketing agency. They help their clients in communication strategy, consultancy and content creation. So today, Oliver has kindly come on to tell us what is happening in the ad tech space and educate us on the impact of the third-party cookie demise and privacy initiatives. We will also learn why he recently joined ThinkJam and what is the future of engagement in marketing. So welcome to the show, Oliver. Hey, Ken. Thanks for having me on. No, thank you. I'm really excited actually to learn a bit more about ad tech. It's our first time doing a podcast in this space. But first of all, tell us a bit about yourself. Oh, I don't think I need to tell you anything. That was a that was a pretty awesome introduction. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, listen, I've been in digital since two thousand and seven. I remember when AOL and AltaVista were the main search engines, and Google was this brand that was coming out of the states that nobody was quite sure what was happening. And you know, I've seen the rise of PPC, affiliates, organic content marketing, social media, and and um. You know, I love digital and I love advertising in the digital space because evolving, it never stops. It never stops moving, right? Every month it's different. Everything is happening. There's seismic changes through many different disciplines. And more recently, you know, over the last few years, I focused on data, ad tech and martech rather than the sort of traditional full funnel search marketing. But, and we'll come on to it, you know, I've moved and pivoted into creative tech and a software space that delivers you know, personalized messaging through platform agnostic solutions. But we'll talk about that later on. Yeah, fantastic. And why, I mean, did you make a conscious decision I want to focus on that space, ad tech, or was it something that kind of evolved that made you move towards that? Yeah, I mean, I mean it's no secret that the industry, you know, the digital industry has gone through some pretty s- seismic changes over the last 18, 24 months, and maybe a little bit longer. You know, the first being the privacy initiatives oh. that GDPR brought in place. That was pretty big, and nobody was quite sure what was going to happen with that, right? But it made a big impact. And then, you know, the whole sort of data governance piece on consumer data was highlighted through things like you know, Vast and Jumpshot being on 450 million devices, the Cambridge Analytica piece, and how consumers' data was being processed and collected. So that shone a massive spotlight onto that area. And the third-party cookie piece, you know, that's something that's been in the works for such a long time that, you know, 
it was everybody knew it was going to happen right and i think that i mean when i talk to people about data and targeting and and that whole sort of piece data has long become an overtraded commodity right Mm -hmm. 10 years ago your number of data suppliers that were on the Lumascape was like 12, right? A decade later, it's over 1,000, right? It's 1,250, right? Or more. In that type of growth in a market space, it's going to become an overtraded commodity, right? So it's not as effective. Marketeers don't, can't see the wood for the trees when it comes to data. And the transparency piece on how data is collected, how it's used, and how it's actually activated has been a massive topic for everyone. So ad tech is, you know, it's going through some shifts and I don't think it's finished. And in fact, I don't even think it's really started yet. (laughs) I think I genuinely believe that there are ad tech today is not the same ad tech in 18 to 24 months. I was on a, um, I was on a, a webinar yesterday that was looking specifically at the identity and audience addressability piece from Pub Academy. And it had people from, it had Dominic Joseph from Captify, Ben Humphrey, who's at the IAB leading the Cookieless Task Force and, and a number of other individuals. And, you know, they did a poll and the poll was a resounding sort of 46% stroke 50% that it's going to change. It's going to fundamentally change the way ad tech performs and works with the demise of the third party cookie, with the identity issue, with probabilistic modeling. Is it in? Is it out? So I think we're in, we're in for an interesting ride. And it's one of the reasons why I, I decided to make a move out of ad tech directly and more into the platform agnostic space. I mean, if you think about third-party cookies, and this is a really interesting thing, and, and I wrote a blog about this a few weeks ago, and I put it up because the title cookie-less, not really. Third-party cookies are a bit like walking into Nike to look at a pair of you know, Air Max trainers or whatever trainer it is, right. and suddenly an Adidas sales rep coming over to you in the Nike store and saying, hey, don't buy those, buy a pair of Yeezys. <laughs> right? You're a bit like, hang on a minute, I, I came to Nike to buy some Air Max. If I wanted to go to Adidas, yeah. I'd come to Adidas. And I might yeah. come to you in a minute, but don't come and you know, yeah, pounce on me now. So the logic behind third-party cookies has, has always been quite messy. But I think the issue is, become exasperated because of the number of players within the system. Ten years ago, it wasn't as much of an issue. Now there's so many people dropping cookies everywhere that it's just, and from a data privacy point of view and from a user experience point of view, it's, it's a nightmare, right? So just to, just to take a step back just for our listeners, because some people might not understand it correctly. I mean, just can I first of all ask you the third party cookie piece, just for our benefit of listeners, what is the impact of that change? Um, where is it going to next, just on that part? That so, I mean, you pro- yeah, you probably need to look at what, what is a first-party cookie and what is a third-party cookie, okay. right? So a first-party cookie is just when you visit Nike.com or Lint or Bremont or, you know, a site. Okay. When you visit that site, they drop a cookie that you visited that site. So it's that top-level domain yeah. who owns that site. That's a first-party cookie, and 
and you opt into that because you're visiting that site, right? right. So, so they've got that. But when you have, uh, you visit that site and suddenly at the top left, so trainline.com or, or an aggregator site, and at the top right-hand side, you've got an MPU or a lander leaderboard, which is a little ad, you know, yeah. that's served from a separate domain www.companyy.com so it's not connected to the host that you're visiting to the cookie that's dropped from them is a third-party cookie okay. right so you haven't opted into that necessarily because it's not the content that you actually wanted to see and the removal of those types of cookies is this initiative that's happening but i mean it's important to note that this has already been happening within firefox and safari and you know, other initiatives. And so it's, it's not like a radical change, okay. you know, and in for mobile, you've got the IDFA, which is a different change. So you've got lots of different changes that are happening, but I think they're, they're customer centric rather than platform centric. Okay. And in reality, there are other players within the market space that are already tackling these issues. People like Infosum, ID5, Permitive, and some really exciting companies that are looking at the identity piece. Yeah, so how are you, give us an example of one of those companies, maybe that, how they're attacking this issue. So say, for example, you've got, you know, Infosum is a good company to talk about. You know, they have a platform that essentially matches two distinct first-party data sets. Okay. I'm going to be really basic in the way I explain yeah, it, and it, it will be far more complicated than what I'm doing it. But okay. say, for example, you're, ITV yep. or Channel 4, and you've got your streaming service online, and you're, let me think, you are Nike, or you are PVH, which is, you know, Tommy Hilfinger, Calvin Klein, and other brands. And right. you've got a customer data set, which includes email addresses, names, and it's all opt-in and it's compliant. What InfoSum are doing is, is they're, they're linking publishers directly to brands. So they're matching two sets of first party to create a new ecosystem that enables you to do, you know, personalized targeting based on those two first party data sets. And they're doing it in a compliant way. Really exciting. I don't think it necessarily tackles the issue because it's still matching two data sets. But I think it's really great for now. And it definitely removes this reliance on the third party cookie world. And has it been a major impact for many companies? I mean, as you said, this has been coming for a while now. Have many companies, I mean, have some, has there been some spaces that have really suffered or they've been prepared now and they put the steps in place to address that? Do you think? <laughs> Do you know, I think it's too early to tell okay. because it hasn't fully rolled out. You know, there's things that are coming from other institutions like the privacy sandbox from Google, which is Turtle Dove, there's Reark, there's other different projects that are looking to address this sort of identity piece, this cookie-less piece, but they're all still up in the air. They're not fully defined. There's no single standard. So, and the proof's in the pudding, right? Until people start to have to roll out and change the way they're working, you're not going to see the impact because people are still relying on third-party data. They're still relying on buying audience sets from data brokers to do the targeting so there are some that that are implementing but i would say they're early adopters right and they're seeing success so when do you think we'll see sorry to jump in when do you think we will see the impact of this how far are we is an extra kind of thing 
thereafter? I think we're going to have to wait another 12 to 18 months to see the impact of exactly what happens because it's one of those situations where until the tap's turned off, the water still runs, right? <laughs> yes. And that's the problem is, is that there's lots of talk on different things that will be done. There's lots of alternative solutions. There'll be early adopters that want to go after those solutions. But, you know, for the, for the general marketeer in-house or inside an agency, they're still working BAU with the plan that they had before, or they're trying to do something with identity mapping, propensity modeling, use machine learning to identify new audiences and cohorts within those audiences. So, you know, it's a situation where, you know, until you're thrusted and the taps turned off, you don't really make a change. So, Oliver, just in relation to that third-party cookie demise, when does it actually come into effect? Well, Chrome is looking to phase them out by 2022. Okay. So it's not tomorrow, right? right? But, you know, it's just one of those where you've just got to be aware that it's coming and how it, how it works. Yeah, interesting times ahead. I talked to Sen about privacy. So we've seen GDPR now. It's been with us for some time. What has happened with this and what has been the impact? Well, the, the impact's huge, right? Because... Companies are still working hard to understand how they can collect data in a compliant way and how they can use that data in a compliant way. But, you know, interestingly enough, we're seeing record types of litigation coming out with Salesforce, with Blue Kai and Crux, with a lawsuit being, a huge lawsuit being filed recently. And we've seen the demise of different companies. But GDPR, CCPA, CRPA, all of these different initiatives are put in place to protect the user, right? They're put in place to protect the user's rights. But that means that when you collect your data, you have to constantly update the way that you're collecting that data and you're processing that data. My question is always, what do you do with all of the existing data that you have pre-changes? When does that data become usable? Do you have to start all over again or re-opt in people? And I mean, I, you know, the amount of emails I still get from companies that I'm not opted into exactly, is yes. shocking, yeah, right? So the other question is, is that how many companies are really taking it yeah. seriously? Is that because it's still very but gray? I th- gray area? I mean, like you say, I mean, can you keep the data you have already or do you have to delete it and start fresh? Is it because it's still very gray area? No, you have to have it. It has to be re-opted in, right? So your marketing preferences have to be have to be opt-in. So yeah. you don't have a legitimate interest when you're a D2C direct-to-consumer brand to communicate with a consumer. You have to have opt-in preferences. Slightly different for business because you've got legitimate interest, right? right? So B2B is a different is a different model altogether. But yeah, I mean, I think it's we're in a situation where nobody's necessarily entirely sure exactly how far to push the boat out and which data providers are doing it. So I'm probably being really harsh to a lot of companies, but not intentionally. And I think that, you know, moving forward, we're we're way ahead of GDPR. You know, we should all know exactly how to use our data and how to process it. And I think that now is the time to really use the tools that we have as marketeers to actually work with quality, not quantity. And I think that's the question, right? Because ultimately, people always want to work with the numbers 
rather than the quality within those numbers. Exactly. Yes. I mean, you can have thousands of records, but how much of them are actually a quality record, quality piece yeah. of data. Actually brings us off nicely now to, I mean, what's happening in the ad tech space so currently? I mean, that's been happening obviously for the last couple of years now, but where are we today? Yeah, I mean, the ad tech space is really interesting because the move and removal of third-party cookies, the removal of, you know, the data sets that aren't GDPR compliant Mm. or privacy compliant has changed the market space, right? And the industry is definitely in a flux. Transparency, trading margins, how companies work with other companies is constantly under scrutiny. And I really think that, you know, the industry is going to have to make some tough choices on how they, how they do succeed. And the problem is, is that as smaller players move away, the bigger ecosystem becomes more entrenched, right? Wow. So when we talk about the bigger ecosystem, we're talking about Gaffer, we're talking about Google, Apple, Facebook, Facebook and Amazon. Yeah. They become monoliths. Mm. Monoliths, it's a monopoly on the biggest scale possible. But that's because of the size and the breadth and the hold that they have within the marketing ecosystem. Interesting companies to watch as they've sort of, they're skyrocketing in growth are people like the Trade Desk, right? Who have a very open policy on how they share their IDs across the ecosystem to make it work more efficiently. I think the rise of connected TV, CTV, is going to be huge. Why is that? Well, because people are streaming more. So, you know, ITV player, Channel 4, All 4s player, all of the different Netflix, all of the different connected TV outputs that you have, the rise of AdSmart and targeting through Digiboxes or the Skyboxes or Cableboxes. And I think that the way that we are moving towards this approach of being able to identify audiences in a more compliant and more pinpoint way, connected TV ads become more relevant. They become more viewed. It means you're almost going back to TV advertising because the consumption of, of streamed content is huge, right? And that's been magnified through COVID. So we're in a, another area of growth and the technology is starting to catch up. That's the difference. Okay. So, you know, these disciplines become more accessible and more usable once the technology becomes, it becomes cost efficient, right? Yeah. And that's the issue is, is that sometimes technology is ahead and is cost prohibitive for right. a marketeer to use. Right, okay. So, yeah, so it's really interesting time, but I, I think it's a tough time. And I think I'm seeing companies having great success in the consulting world, helping companies aggregate and bring data together, be more effective, sort of troubleshoot on internal tech stacks. I think that, you know, since 2007, it's been really interesting because, you you know, I've seen full service boutiques, so people looking at the full service solution, and then they want to go to the independent boutique solution, and then the full service. So you see this pendulum swish and go from back to forth on people. And I think we are at a, a situation as companies start to want to in-house digital. And I think it's a really dangerous term to use, in-house digital. That doesn't mean taking everything in-house, right. like your programmatic tech stack, your PPC mm. tech stack, and everything taking in-house. But in-housing 
larger components of the digital marketing mix, you're going to start to see people move away from an independent tech stack, which is one tech stack, to an agnostic tech stack. So how can we work different elements within via API to ingest, move data Mm. back and forth between multiple different tech stacks to deliver the best solution? And ultimately, it's about delivering the best solution. It's one of the reasons I joined ThinkJam. Yeah, I was just about to ask you, actually. I mean, that's an, I know this is a new recent move here. Tell us all about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I joined ThinkJammers to head up a new product, a new SaaS product called Remake that's being launched. And, okay. and Remake was designed to enable marketeers, brand managers to be able to localize, personalize, and version branded content to grow go across multiple different channels and platforms. But they did it in a really unique way because their pedigrees in the entertainment industry, working with the likes of Disney, HBO, Universal, Paramount, Warner Brothers, some, some real powerhouses in entertainment, brand, tone of voice, and sort of the brand guidelines and sort of the imaging and video styles was massively important. It couldn't be changed. You can't decide to move logos from one side to the other side or just change some text. It all has to be really consistent. But more important, it's rich video content. So DCO platforms sorry, just, currently... What, what, sorry, just, what, is, what do you mean by rich video content? So let's say, for example, you're watching the new Tenant trailer right? And it's come up as a YouTube pre-roll and it's a two minute video. That's rich video content, right? Or um, you're watching the latest, latest advert for Lindor's excellent chocolate, (laughs) right? Lint's excellent chocolate. And you see it and it's, you know, moving and you see the Swiss chefs moving with chocolate and then you've got the text, right? That's on brand. It's gone through a creative process. It's gone through a creative studio it's been signed off and it can't be changed. That's the 30 second or the 15 second or the two minute video asset that needs to go out across the channels. The biggest issue for companies who are in multi-territories or or looking at multi-messaging is versioning. The cost of having to reproduce that asset 10, 15, 20, 30 times is huge. And Remake is a tool that enables brand marketeers, creative marketeers, and creative teams to be able to upload the original asset and change it dynamically in 90 Mm. seconds and pump it out in 20 languages or 30 different versions and then deploy to the different platforms. So you can deploy those assets. So there's the question you've got to ask yourself is what's the cost of versioning or localization? It's not just the cost to reproduce internally. It's the cost, i.e. the loss of revenue by not doing it because it was cost prohibitive to make those changes, Mm. right? So there's a double cost whammy. There's a cost for doing it, but there's also a cost if you don't do it and you miss your market with the right message. And it ties into everything that I love about personalization, right? I love the ability to be able to personalize and localize creative assets and campaigns. Awesome. Yeah, really cool, love so you just started. I know you're only new to the role. Yeah, so. it's day nine. <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty good. Yeah, but I, I knew of the company before. 
I feel very fortunate to be working with the founder and the CEO and the rest of the senior management team on a really exciting, a really exciting product. I mean, in terms of companies that would benefit from this, is it more big international companies, would you say, or can it be, you know, appeal to medium-sized companies also? No, it's definitely medium, medium-sized companies as well, right? Anybody who's producing content that needs versioning from a call to action to a message to different file sizes, formats to language, all of that, we can help them. You know, there's a, there's a, an opportunity for different tiered pricing that goes from, you know, pairs you go up to enterprise style modeling. Very so, yeah, so yeah, it's, it's, awesome. yeah, it goes across the, it is, it is. Watch tell this me, space. Yeah, tell me, because I mean, obviously you're looking out to the future and what's happening. And I definitely see it seems to be going all video now. In your experience, what is the future of this engagement now in marketing? Yeah, the future of engagement has changed. And I think it's changed for the better. I think that personalized, more relevant comms is a must. I think consumers expect it. I think that the rise and impending fall of misinformation or poor advertising is happening. And I think that COVID has unlocked a whole separate tranche of users and audiences online that have been forced to shop online that would never have shopped. I mean, we're sort of half a year into a pandemic and, and there isn't huge amount of change. And I think it's a, the, it takes 21 days to form a habit, right? So we're way over 21 days. Not everybody will stick to it, but there'll be a huge proportion of people that will have changed the way they shop online, the way they engage online. So I think that that type of messaging and that type of use of assets and creative can only be a benefit for people to really engage with their audiences correctly. And I think the future of engagement is really in the hands of the marketeer of how they're going to connect with people on channels, what messaging they're going to use. Are they going to look at a full funnel approach of you know, awareness, consideration, and then sort of activation or acquisition piece at the bottom, you know, because I think as an industry, we've been really focused on DR, direct response, right? Let's just get them in, just hammer all the messages and hope that, hope it's going to work. Not nurturing the customer journey of educating and, you know, building awareness and then taking them through to intent. Well, is this interesting for me? Do I want it? To then closing them through acquisition and really direct messaging. We're all being really focused on the let's just get more customers through throwing out lots of direct response. An interesting one for you, right? Because I do agree with you that I do like, you know, the targeted marketing approach based on you know, my data, you know, because I see stuff that's interesting to me. But the other side of that then is, does that mean I'm not getting a choice because the companies are gearing and guiding me along, pretty much telling me what I should be buying and what I should be watching, what I should be offered. And then I don't get to see the other stuff. And what's, what's your opinion? Because I mean, that's your thing about personalization. What's your opinion on that? I don't know. That sounds like an episode of Black Mirror or something. You know, on, um, I'm watching too much Netflix, maybe. <laughs> that, that, sounds, that sounds a little freaky. Yeah. No, I, I firmly believe that there's a difference between trying to influence and move people down a path that they're not already on 
okay. to actually taking and walking people through the journey that they wanted to go on in the first place, right? I'll come back to the Nike Adidas piece. Yep. If you're shopping online for a pair of Nike trainers mm. and you constantly get draw back to Adidas, you're going to get annoyed with that customer journey, right? Vice yeah. versa as well. If you're shopping for Adidas and you constantly get brought back for a Nike pair of trainers, you're going to get annoyed with that journey. And also I think that the more irrelevant ads and the more irrelevant content you're shown, the more desensitized you're going to come to the process so that you actually inherently lose confidence in that whole customer journey, right? And that's got to be more important because I think that you know, it's very easy to, to just ignore adverts. You know, I mean, how many of us have pre-recorded content in our planners on our TV guides or whatever, and the moment the ad comes on, you just hit skip, 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 <laughs> right? You know, I can't remember the last time I watched an ad on, on, uh, on a TV program. And that's because what I was seeing didn't excite me. I didn't want to see it before. So the learned behavior is that I skip through that. And I think there's a real danger that, we, that we're, we're like that with digital advertising. It's very rare that you see. I mean, I remember the, do you remember the Phil Collins Gorilla Cabris ad? Oh, yes. Right? Uh, brilliant. That was fantastic, <laughs> right? The flake, the flake Cabris uh, ad, right? You know, the BT, he got an ology. It's good to talk ad, yeah. right? Those, some of those were just, you know, they were phenomenal. But I can't remember the last time I watched an ad on TV that, I've, that has stayed in my mind. And I don't know whether that's because I'm just now systemically, you know, scrolling through them. But, and this brings me on to connected TV again. With the rise of that, you can't skip those ads yeah, when you're streaming. You have to watch them. So it gives you an opportunity to start to re-engage and make it more relevant and an exciting customer journey. Well, I think also the idea, you know, you have to watch five or 10 seconds. That's enough to kick either you stay on or you don't. That is, I think it's a good idea too. You're not forced to watch yeah. the full amount, you know. Listen, Oliver, fantastic, really insightful. I really enjoyed the conversation. If people want to get in touch with you, how would they contact you? Yeah, please do. Obviously on LinkedIn, but yeah, ping me an email at um, oliver.com clander at thinkjam.com fantastic listen thank you so much for coming on the show today no thank you for having me ken Mm -hmm.